My name is Monica Kretschmer and I'm the founder and CEO of the Universal Women's Network, Woman of Inspiration, and this is the Woman of Inspiration podcast, where we speak with women who are leading by example, raising the bar, ignoring the naysayers, and making an impact locally, nationally, and globally. Now, it's my very, very, um, like, I'm ending my Friday on a really great note today, uh, listeners, because I am interviewing Andrea Carter. Andrea is the founder and CEO of Building Better Organizations. She is an expert in the area of diversity and inclusion and a just one of those leaders that when you hear what she's up to, how she embraces what she's working on, you're just going to want to jump right into her world and learn everything you can about it. So welcome, Andrea. It's a great um, pleasure to have you here with us today. Oh, thank you. And what a kind introduction, Monica. It's so nice to be here. And um, I think one of the reasons why I love Universal Women's Network is because you have such an incredible, authentic presence around including people and creating that space for people to belong. And I think that right now the world just is craving that. So thank you for, for holding this and doing all the work that you've been doing to help make women more visible. It's really important. Well, I'm, I'm just gonna, for the listeners, you probably can't see it, but I'm making a heart and I'm like kind of <laughs> beating right now. Cause I mean, I think that we all, the, the network of women, Andre, yourself included, that we have brought together that really truly lead by example, um, with passion and dedication, commitment and experience is awe-inspiring. So um, I'm really excited to dig in today and to, you know, go back into your, I want to talk about your leadership journey, of course. Um, I know in the green room I asked, I said, you know what, let's ask that question about, you know, how was it when you were growing up? Did you have those right role models in your world? Um, so listeners, you were in for a treat. So let's start there. Andrea, today, what did it look like when you were, you know, like back when you were 12? Like what, you know, did you have those role models around you that you even knew that you could aspire to be when you were young? Yeah, so great, great question to ask and to start with. Um, I think role models are so important and it's so interesting because if I think back to where I was when I was 12. So when I was 12, my parents were in the middle of a divorce. Um, mom and dad were, were on completely different planes. Um, there was four kids in our family. So we were all kind of like lost in this weird mix of people. And, um, we'd actually just moved to Ontario. So we were just landed in Oakville and funny enough, full circle, I'm back living in Oakville with my family and my kids now, my husband and, you know, um, it, so it's, it is, it's very interesting how certain things happen, but you know, if I think about role models, really the, the role model that had the, the greatest impact in my entire life was actually my Oma. And my Oma means grandmother in German. And um, she was this, so I'm six feet and I'm very tall and I take up a lot of space. Yeah, <laughs> take up you know, space. <laughs> and my, my Oma was, you know, five foot two maybe. And she was so tiny, like, I remember at 12, I could actually pick her up. I could lift her up. And um, she was just an incredible woman. And, and there was so much tension and so much conflict 
you know, as my parents were going through all of these elements of divorce and how, how challenging and how difficult and how painful that is. And um, I, I just always go back to her saying, you know, Andrea, you have to forgive, you have to love, you have to show up, you have to meet people where they are. And that, that imprinting is very powerful. And I don't think I ever realized until, you know, as, as you age. And it's interesting because we, we start to see these repeating patterns and our children as well, right? So my, my children who are now very tall, they don't fit in, <laughs> you know, at age 12, I was my height. And when I walked into my grade five class, everyone thought I was the teacher. So you can imagine, you know, that, um, that, that element of difference was something that was very predominant at that age. And now I'm seeing how at, at present, how our differences have yet to be accepted as good. And we live in this binary world where we have good and bad, but we don't necessarily understand how to value difference. Mm. And I think that, you know, back to my Oma, she was amazing at just being able to say, this is where somebody is at and, and you can't change where they are at, but you can change how you approach this situation, this conflict, this person. And I think those, those pieces have fundamentally shaped um, so much of my life. Um, you know, I, I can definitely say that it was not perfect. It was definitely a big struggle for me to be able to look at certain elements and go, okay, how do I, how do I even look at meeting this person where they're at when I just feel so hurt or so taken advantage of, or, um, so undervalued, um, and, and I think that those are elements that we see across the board. I'm not unique in saying that, you know, we, we see women across the world still feeling unvalued and unheard and unseen. And so it, it really is looking at elements of how do we meet people where they are so we can create the framework um, for change and, and for acceptance. So let's unpack that just a little bit <laughs> because I have got to say, like, I just, I just, I'm with you wholeheartedly. I'm like, let's go change the world. Let's go do this. Why is it, <laughs> why isn't this change happening? And so I want to step back to, so the 12 and, and you had a great role model in your world, which was your Oma, which is amazing because I look back to my childhood and I didn't really have that full you know, um, I didn't have role models, right? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I started building my own communities that I'm like, okay, role models are so important, right? And knowing the true value and how mm -hmm. amazing it is for our kids to have leadership role models, where it's mm -hmm. really important that it's ingrained mentorship, leadership role models for them. Um, but I just want to go back to, you know, even though Oma was a big part of your life and it's like meet people as they are, what was your career journey that really led you to this role where you're really, you know, kind of on the forefront for that building that sense of belonging so that inclusivity is accepted and 
and embraced um, in, in the people and the customers and the clients that you work with. Like, how, how did you get to this point is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, through lots of struggle. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk so about let's, that. Yeah, let's, let's unpack it. Let's so, unpack that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, and I had implied that, you know, with, with uh, the unveiling of imperfection, I think is really important. So, you know, I think it goes back to, while I did have my Oma, you know, I didn't live with my Oma. I lived with my, you know, in between mom and dad. Um, and there was lots, lots of, of turmoil, lots of struggle, um, lots of hardship around money, lots of hardship around education. Um, I, I think what happened for me was that I felt so isolated and so alone that the fastest way for me to get to where I wanted to go was to actually do, I did night school, I did summer school in high school, so I could get to university faster. And that might sound weird, but I knew, um, one of the other things that Oma had said, she said, your education is 100% where you need to be. And so I wasn't a great student. Like I was never a good student. My my older sister was a natural student. She didn't really have to work at it. I really had to work at it. Um, and so I went to university and I went to Bishops. And Bishops University is a very small university. There's only about 2000 kids. Um, it's in the heart of the Eastern Townships. And it was the most incredible place for me to experience belonging for the first time. And I just had, I had incredible professors who stimulated me to think it outside the box. Um, I played sports. I, I was on the um, athletic therapy team. Um, and, and it was just this incredible community. Um, I met my husband. He lived across the hall from me in our first year. We're, you know, almost 25 years of being together. So it was really interesting to go from this very stark um, upbringing of not feeling belonging. So even when I look at like the the family, there's four of us, but I was the black sheep. Like I was the one who didn't belong, and. Um, I think what ends up happening is we look at our career and we look at our family and we expect that our family is going to be there for us 150%. And I don't know that that's necessarily the real experience that the majority of us have. And not that there's, you know, we can't look at our family and blame our family. That's, that's not what I'm doing here. But I think that we have to look at where we're going to find belonging. And that was one thing that I have seen consistently occur is that when there isn't belonging, there's a very distinct feeling. There's a pain response, actually. Like there's a, from a neuroscience perspective, when you feel ostracized or when you feel excluded, there is actually a physical pain response that your brain um, experiences. And so for the people that have constantly had difference, constantly had challenge, um, we're, we're attuned. And I don't think that there's a person out there that doesn't know what exclusion feels like. Mm -hmm. And so the pain is real. And um, because of that, I feel like there's waves. We go through, it's almost like a roller coaster where we feel we do belong and then we're, we don't belong and we do belong and we don't belong. 
And I think that in the space of the non-belonging is where we do the biggest amount of introspection to understand where the pain and the rejection and the feeling of isolation has occurred mm -hmm. so that we can then continue and plug back in to our next experience of belonging. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that it's a really tricky space to be in to expect that everyone is going to be your be all end all for your entire life, because I think that that actually sets us up for great disappointment. Um, I think that when we look at the pieces that are important to us in those dark moments, in those moments of feeling so isolated and so alone, so rejected, so ostracized, I think those are the moments that we dig deep into learning, that we dig deep into figuring out how do we grow from here. Um, and, you know, I think when, when we first, so we were in Calgary for 14 years, love Calgary, um, shaped our, our adulthood. And, and even that, Calgary, um, when we moved to Calgary, we were amazed at how welcoming Calgary, the, the people of Calgary truly are. And, and that, that element of moving back from Calgary to Toronto, where there, the population in of itself changes, the dynamic of how people receive you changes. Um, you know, when we moved back to Toronto, it was a period of, again, unbelonging and, and trying to understand where we wanted to belong and what it meant for us to create community and to create a climate that allowed our family to thrive. Um, so can I ask you something is, so that belonging is so important and that's why we have this network and we really inclusive network where we want people to feel like they belong in, which is really important. But when you are going through that and you're feeling excluded, do you find that it helps speed up the process if you actually are intentional about belonging yes. so that the barriers somehow don't seem as ginormous, right? Absolutely. So there's actually five components to belonging. So comfort, contribution, connection, psychological safety, and well-being. And those five pieces are the foundations for the human brain to understand and recognize I belong. So belonging is a, is a fundamental need in every place that you go to. So you get up and you leave your house and you go to the grocery store. Your brain is looking for a sense of belonging. I know that sounds weird in a grocery store, really, Andrea? Um, but you know what it feels like to walk into a grocery store in your sweatpants and, you know, whatever, and then have that one person that is not as accepting as other people walk in and turn around and look at you and, and shame you in the grocery store for running in and Never grabbing your milk in the morning. Ever, not even during COVID. No, no. Mm -mm. Just well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying probably, yeah, more during COVID than any other time. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. So, you know, I, I think that these are elements that um, when we can break those down and become intentional about them, and I think that's what I've seen the most success with, with the body of research that I've been doing. And even, um, you know, we've just launched 
an industry-wide study in the mining industry, which is amazing because mining is virtually untouched in uh, diversity and inclusion. And we have, you know, over 3,000 participants for this study. Like it's the largest study that has ever, I think, occurred according to Women in Mining Canada. Um, but it's it's cool to actually be able to look at being intentional about belonging. Um, psychological safety is a huge button and it's a huge space of growth because, you know, if we look at the world today, unfortunately, the European culture that we are influenced by in Canada um, is predominantly an exclusive culture. When we look at how we have been um, socialized, we have been told that if you belong to the top ski club, if you belong to the yacht club, if you belong to these exclusive places, that you somehow are valued higher, bigger, better than someone who does not. And so we have learned, <laughs> we have been socialized to exclude people. Um, you know, even when we look at how we deal with conflict with our children, and, and this is a big area for me as I'm watching, you know, my 10 year old and my 12 year old going through, all, or sorry, 14 year old, going through all of these pieces of um, belonging and fitting in and, and issues. And it's interesting because as moms, our first reaction when a kid is mean to our kid is to say, well, just don't play with them, right? Yeah. And that's actually creating more of that exclusion and it's actually creating, it's perpetuating this element of, um, you know, being ostracized. And so we have to look at difference as being okay. And I think for me, what really started to work was we can't, you, you cannot, I think this is a, a, a misperception is that, well, Andrea, if you're talking about belonging, then you you are an advocate that everyone belongs to everything. And I think as women, you know, wouldn't that be nice if everyone just all got along as, <laughs> as you said? <laughs> but, but the reality is that we are all different. Not everybody is going to jive. However, we can still value what that person brings to an experience and, and to, um, you know, whether that's a team or a community or whether that's a, a culture in the office. And I think that's the difference. And and so being intentional, just as you had talked about, I think we have to be intentional um, because especially when you're building, as, as a woman who is learning and growing and trying to um, obtain the value that she deserves that she has not been given. And I think that that's very important for us to vocalize and, and to look at. I think that there are going to be people while you're going through these stages of elevating your career, that you actually, it's safer for you, back to the psychological safety, it is safer for you to not interact with certain people. And because we have learned to be exclusive, we have learned to use microaggressive tendencies in order to navigate. And those microaggressive tendencies are actually the very things that are creating the dysfunction 
within our society. Mm. Powerful, powerful. I, you know, I think, I think often actually in like women's organizations and the world of women, um, even back to when I first started in 2014, and I wanted to build a network with a shared value system right from the get-go, mm-hmm. shared values. So it didn't matter if you were from a corporate company, it didn't matter if you were an entrepreneur or a business owner, or whether you were, you know, the wife that, you know, stepped back from her role in order to raise the kids, what she was, her value didn't move, right? Mm-hmm. She was still valued into the conversation. And it was really interesting, Andrea, is that I didn't realize how intentional I was in the beginning about building that belonging where everybody felt that they belonged and how valuable and and sticking really hard fast to those values from the get go, where we are seven years from now going, okay, that's pure gold, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't have to all of a sudden wear a different hat and say, we're inclusive. (laughs) Because that's the way we were from the beginning. But even thinking back to 2014, I was challenged all the time on the way that I wanted to build the network where it was inclusive. Because I'm like, I was told that I was, you know, like a monkey brain that I should just focus on one. And I'm like, no, I really truly believe that the value is, is when you bring all of those voices together that it really strengthens and that's where the magic happens. I've always felt that, but boy, oh boy, even in the world of women's world, you know, where we're working on the same, we've all got different struggles and we're working towards a common goal, there were silos. Mm-hmm. Well, and even if we look at, I mean, I found it, I find um, Women's Day a very interesting um, facet as well, because when we look at what has happened in the world today, um, International Women's Day has been turned into a stage for Caucasian women to talk about feminism. And what is happening is that there's actually a repetition of how suffragettes were completely excised and how we ended up changing the dynamic and, and marginalized. It was, it was really interesting to watch how many elements of marginalization occurred in Women's Day, International Women's Day this year. And it's interesting because um, I'm trying to think of the author's name, but it's, um, I can't off the top of my head anyways, but, but what she asked, one of the questions that she asked was, well, when did feminism go back to being white? And I think that that is something that we do have to explore and we have to unpack because it's the intersections of all of the elements that bring the value to a group. And it's interesting, you know, I I never would have thought that I would be returning to do a master's degree in my early 40s. I never would have thought that that was going to happen. And Adler University, um, which is the campuses in Vancouver and then also in Chicago and then they have an international um, uh, population as well that's done online and they have been amazing to me they um, so so that is my you know university that I'm back at I'm doing my uh, master's of industrial and organizational psychology 
And in that, one of the things that we have to do in order to convocate is we have to do a social justice practicum. And with that, we have learned so much about oppression. We have learned so much about marginalization. We have the opportunity to have real discussions about equity and equality and white privilege and white fragility and all of the elements that so many people are terrified, terrified to talk about and to look at because they are words that trigger defensive patterning within the brain. And so we automatically have this, well, oh my goodness, you know, you're, you're, you're using words that make me feel very uncomfortable and make me feel very triggered. And we have to learn how to navigate into them and it be okay. You know, when we're looking at these tough conversations that we have to have, that is also part of belonging. That is part of looking at the unpacking of, of um, psychological safety and well-being. Um, because we can't honor those elements mm. in marginalized groups unless we acknowledge them. And so the history is so important to look at it and understand. Um, even when we look at Black history in Canada, when we look at when people got the vote. So the Aboriginal vote, the Indigenous vote was actually only, it only occurred in Canada in 1960. So these are things that once we start to unpack and we understand, um, we can start to see how those diverse elements and, and the intersections of who we are also contribute tremendous value to our ability to transform and to change the world as it is today. And then it's so generational, right? And the mindset shifts. We have our generation, but it's generational, right? That That's a whole other layer, but you are completely right about the fear of talking about it. And so one of my goals with the uh, 2021 Roadshow as we make our way across Canada in the fall is that we have the opportunity to actually have a platform where we're engaging the masses, we're engaging the public in conversation where we're actually able to have those tough conversations in a safe environment because that's the environment that we're creating for ourselves and with our leaders is you know that openness and it's not like a closer conversation that only the exclusive are able to voice but it's opened up that everybody else can participate in here as well so that I, i'm really excited andrea about you being a part of the 100 woman of inspiration book as a contributor and um the 2021 roadshow because i think there's definitely work um that we can you know do and that we have the opportunity i think it's timely i mean when we're coming out of 2020 which is historic it's true it's true and I, I, sorry go ahead go ahead i just get excited about the opportunity and i've always been a glass half full never a glass half empty even regardless of the challenge of the pain and the struggle and the barriers it's always been what can we learn how can we move forward and just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean we can't do it so let's get started yeah absolutely and i think that's what it is right it's like we i think right now we have this we have kind of two sides of the corn we have the the knee-jerk reaction where we just have to put something out, we have to do something now. 
And we're seeing a lot of organizations do that. And, you know, they're using terminology and words that they don't necessarily understand. Um, it always makes me laugh whenever I, I see um, meritocracy in somebody's diversity and inclusion statement, because for those who actually understand diversity and inclusion, we understand that meritocracy is actually part of our structural racism. And so there is so much to unpack with uh, how we're putting these elements together. And then on the flip side, there's so much fear around saying the wrong thing or um, putting out the wrong thing that um, this is a place where we've stopped talking. And, and I never truly understood the concept around why silence is violence. I never understood that until um, the pandemic truly hit. And some of the work that I have been doing is, is working with those other communities and, and um, marginalized communities. And, and when you start to understand, when you start to see the framework that is actually there, you can no longer unsee it. And so you start to understand that in being silent, you are actually endorsing the wrongdoings. You are endorsing the negativity. You are becoming a stand for the negative instead of a stand for the equity and the possibility for equal opportunity that truly transforms the way that we show up for each other and how human capital can be expressed in order for us to optimize our own performance. Um, I, th I think for too long, we've looked at competition as, you know, a, a cornerstone to finding your marketplace and monopolizing that marketplace, right? Like get out the elbows. And what's interesting is that if you actually look up what com competition means, it's camaraderie to get to your next level. And competitors in sport don't use each other to negate each other. They use each other to better each other. And I, and I think that that's an element that, that also needs to be discussed because when we understand that we are here for each other to better each other, there is a shift in the way that we perceive actions. There's a shift in the way that we perceive the world. There's a shift in the way that we understand why um, being an ally is absolutely something that needs to occur and on multiple different levels. So my next, and I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. Like I, you know, one of my posts actually the other day was how to be a support her. And, you know, it was, you know, male allies are coming out of the woodworks and they're just saying, you know, we are a champion of women. We support women. We're going to speak out to help and support them. And, you know, I think there was one amazing gentleman um, that's, that was just very clear in, in his post and, you know, people were sending him DMs of like, what are you doing, dude? They're, they're like criticizing him behind the scenes. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't even, like, I was shocked that that was happening, right? Trying to silence the voice of those that are actually trying to make change is shocking to me in this day and age. Um, but I really do believe that our male allies play a role. So maybe you can shed some insight on 
your thought around that, the specifically the role of our male allies to help move and make change. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, I've been very fortunate. I, I, in my adult career, have had very, very incredible male mentors and men who encouraged me to keep going. Um, I think all of us have at some point experienced like the tall poppy syndrome or, you know, being torn down by someone because they saw you doing something different or they saw you um, succeeding. And it's interesting because in those moments, those are the moments that we question, like, am I doing the right thing? Am I bad? Is there something wrong with me? And do I have um, to dim my light? Do I have to shrink to fit so that these people don't actually, you know, ruin where I'm trying to go or dismantle um, how I see the path forward? And um, so, so I have been very fortunate in that situation. I'll I'll never forget one of the um, conversations that I had with one of them was um, he said, you know, Andrea, the, the problem is, as a male um, who is in a senior executive level, um, people are watching, people are looking to see what we are doing. But right now, we don't necessarily have to do that much. We can do one-to-one, we can do elements where we're pulling women forward. But the problem is that we see the amount of microaggression that is occurring between women. And until women can learn how to actually support each other, men will not follow, men will not follow suit. Because if we're not seeing this across the board with women, how can we set the stage for the male leaders who believe in meritocracy to shift the way that they perceive the world? And so, you know, really fundamentally, we need to just pause on that. Like we need to have a moment of silence after that one. Andrea, you have no idea how often we see that happening, but the conversation doesn't get done. It's not happening where women are actually speaking about other women, not supporting other women and really how men are like, I'd love to just jump in, but how do we do that when the women aren't supporting each other? And that is a huge issue. So I'm really so super proud that you're able to be that voice and and to bring that into the conversation today, because it is part of, it's a huge piece, getting our male allyship to the table. We got to support each other, ladies. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, like I often look at the history and the, and the culture that has evolved. Like if we, if we actually take a step back and look at Canadian history, and I'm, I'm going to try not to geek out too much here, but if we look at Indigenous um, leadership, Indigenous leaders have equal female to equal male because they understand that females are the life bearers. They are the life carriers, the water barriers or the water carriers, pardon me. And they won't make decisions without having the female counterpart there in equality. And it's it's interesting to learn, you know, a lot of the background and, and 
please don't, you know, mistake the fact that I am just on my journey of also learning more and more about Indigenous culture, um, because it's very, it's of interest to me. And I think there's so much that we can actually learn from the women of Indigenous culture that um, is just incredible. So women actually voted women in and out of the leadership element. And when women were behaving in a way that was competitive, those women would no longer be allowed to be leaders. Can you imagine what would happen today if women in leadership who were behaving with microaggressive tendencies were no longer allowed to be leaders because they could not um, elevate other people around them? And I think the piece around this, really when I come back to it, it it a hundred percent has to do with um, a lack of confidence, but more so a doubt. And it's the doubt of um, not being enough. So not enough, not being enough, uh, not having enough. The not enough, just if we were to just write those two words and we were to look at how many women give intention and attention to not enough, we would really be able to understand how much tension that focus is providing our culture. I, I want to say, wow, I just, I resonate with your words and I'm hoping that our listeners right now are just go, ah, I'm in, I'm in, what can we do to change? Um, recognizing that confidence. Confident women, typically, I'm not going to say all, but if you are completely confident in your own abilities, you have no issues opening the door for another one or sharing your knowledge or lifting someone else above you. So I think confidence to me, from what I've noticed, is, is paramount in that piece of the puzzle. And I'm going to say, I haven't always been super confident, right? So I can relate to that at some level of my journey. And the more I release and the more confident I am in my voice, the more I want to rise everyone else around me. And from that's from my experience, right? And, but that's learned, you know, it's just like, you're right. That scarcity, like work so hard and, you know, um, but as soon as you let that go, the beauty and the magic happens where, you know, you get camaraderie you get collaboration you have a support network where it's just I, I can't even say it's just magic when that happens right but you have to be confident in your to let go of that and to let others shine no harm it's the beauty of it like when others shine we all shine I've always said that when we celebrate when women we celebrate all women because I truly believe that we do and so Andrea what in your expert opinion, um, how do we encourage others that might recognize that in their own leadership? Mm -hmm. And it's no punishment. I don't think that people should be, you know, um, reprimanded or, you know, like tomorrow's a new day, mm -hmm. the next hour, the next minute's a new day. It's a mindset shift. But what can people do if they're like, they recognize that maybe, oh, I have some work to do in that area. What can they do? 
Yeah, and it's such a great question. It's something that so many people have asked. Um, and to be honest, I, I borrow my response. I borrow my response from uh, Maya Angelou, who once said, you know, forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know before you learned it. And I think that that is so important because we have to remember that in order for certain women to get to certain places in their life, in their careers, they also went through the cycle of socialization that taught them that doing X created Y as the answer. And so we have to remember that there are reasons as to why certain pieces happened. And, and you'll hear me go back to the history often because it's the history that allows us to unpack, you know, the, the elements that we struggle with. And, and it is very easy for us to live in shame and blame. Um, you know, it, that is a human tendency. It's heavy. It's heavy. It we is. don't want to go and, there. And it's awful. It feels awful. And, you know, even even myself, um, the the past really five years have been tremendous years of growth, tremendous years of looking into what do I not know? What do I what am I believing right now? And is my belief true or is my belief something I need to question. So going even back to the values that you had talked about, Monica, and, and why those values were so important. Um, you know, a lot of our lives that we live today are created because of values and beliefs that were handed down from upper generations, which is why we have such tension between um, different age groups and, and different um, you know, demographics. And so when we look at the pieces and understand that we can question what we're valuing and why, mm. it allows us to then shift out of the need to be right. Because, and my husband and I talk about this all the time, you know, you either, and this is again, human tendency, so human tendency has the need to be right. Mm -hmm. But if we're trying to be right, do we get what it is that we're wanting? Are we creating the steps to get the vision? Or are we just trying to prove that I want you to believe what I believe? Oh my God, that's my brain is going to explode here. <laughs> that's like a big one. That's a big one for a Friday afternoon. Honestly, it's, it's so complex, right? When you start actually sitting down to think about our value systems and how, when we're not agreeing or how open we are to accepting to new ideas. Oh my God, like, ah, I, I gotta say, I'm not 100% great at that all times. Who is? Who, right? Who, I, and, I, and this is the point. That That's truly, Monica, that's truly the point. The point is, is that in the moment we make snap judgments and we deem something good or bad, that's also how your brain works, right? It's good or bad, I'm in danger, I'm not in danger. And so when we're in that moment, when we feel tension, what we have to look towards is where am I going to create no tension? Mm. So moving from tension to no tension, 
um, and questioning the in-between pieces of what am I believing to be true that is actually creating the tension in my body, in my mind, in my being. Um, and then forgiving ourselves. I think that's you know one of the things that I I have seen so much of um, along the the way. People will hurt you. People will do things that are um, massively offensive, massively hurtful, massively disappointing. And we question how, how can this person behave this way? And how do I even look at forgiveness mm. of this person? Because we know that forgiveness is, is truly not about the other person. It's about us being able to move forward. Mm -hmm. So when we look at the complexity of diversity and inclusion, the biggest wall that we are hitting is the shame and the blame of behavior and actions that have occurred throughout history and that we've repeated because we haven't questioned. Mm. So really that, that first piece is looking at, okay, so if I can't forgive this person, how do I forgive myself for not even being able to forgive this person? Right. I started asking that. that. That actually was what gave me great peace because there are people in your life that will have left their mark, will have left the scar. And forgiving yourself for owning the scar in the first place yeah. is, is the first start. Mm. So I look at, again, opportunity to boil it down to something that everybody understands, and that's forgiveness. Forgiveness for not knowing the history of why it is that it's right in front of us and why things are happening, but the acceptance to learn, to change, to grow. Um, and that's a conversation everybody can join in on, right? And so I think there's great work to be done in that area. And I'm excited. That gets me all revved up. Like I want to run down the street. <laughs> like I haven't ran in a while, Andrea. Um, <laughs> That's okay. I haven't either. <laughs> <laughs> just saying my, uh, I have dust bunnies in my runners. Um, but I think those are really encouraging, positive uh, conversations that don't require uh, a thesaurus dictionary. Um, you know, to understand exactly, because there's a lot of really complex terminology for people to digest right now. And so I think number one, being open to learning about what that is and what they mean, and then forgiving yourself for not knowing what you don't know. So powerful. Oh my goodness. So love your leadership, um, you know, and how you're like, you're so passionate about everything that you're doing. Um, there's no surprise that you're like, woman of inspiration nominee and you know like it just every world that your voice touches your six foot tall voice <laughs> taking up space well worth it right so thank goodness you own your space um but i i want to talk a little bit about that piece about the ability for women to take up space the ability for women to step into their voice to be seen to be heard to be valued um maybe you can shed a little bit of light on how it was to be nominated for as a woman of inspiration and being able to own that spotlight 
Yeah, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna travel back in time again on that one as well, Monica. So what people should know is that I'm six feet and my siblings are like five two and five four. And <laughs> um, you know, as I shared, you know, my Oma was not a, a big woman and she was very petite and tiny. I've been taller than my dad since I was in grade seven, I think it was. Like so even though you're tall and you're you're you take up space i think that there is this natural belief that because you're tall you take up space you're passionate about what you do that you're always confident and that you can always own um being seen being visible i think that being visible is actually one of the most scary things that we can do in our entire lives um it's why public speaking you know, terrifies people. It's why having to speak, you know, for some on a podcast terrifies people. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that has been helpful is that in my career, I've always been given the opportunity to present, to teach. Um, I remember actually as a child, one of the games that we would play in our basement was school. And, and I always wanted to be the teacher. <laughs> Um, so, you know, these are the things that we, and I remember I would practice presenting. Um, what was interesting is that I, I still do and, and, um, and much better now, but when I was a child, I actually did have a bit of a stutter. And so these were things that really at certain stages of my life, of my career, um, prevented me from doing things because I thought, well, what happens if I'm not entirely articulate before I was doing my master's? Well, nobody is going to listen to what I have to say because even though I've done five years of research, I don't have the piece of paper saying that it's valid. Um, you know, we do these things and as women, because we haven't um, been validated, for all of the work that we have done, whether that is outside of the house or inside the house. Um, one of the, the women in my community, I, I love her so much. And she always says, you know, Andrea, I'm the CEO of my household. And there are so many times that I think the things that that woman does, that household would not run without her. Can we imagine a world in which she is paid for being able to stay at home, to nourish and support and, you know, allow these poppies, these beautiful children to grow in the means that they are meant. Um, and so I think, you know, really when we look at visibility, it's something we have to practice. It's something we have to believe is valuable enough that we can open the door. And, and what I encourage women to do is create spaces where you can practice because as we practice what happens is that the brain goes oh I, i've been here before i've done this before this is okay and the more that you practice the more that you actually begin to feel comfortable and when you start to feel comfortable you stop thinking about all of the fears and the doubts and the elements that otherwise are present in your mind and you can just be present with the people that are in front of you and so you know when i think about the awards awards are one of the most fundamental ways 
that women can gain visibility. And yet when we look, and I and I bet you, I don't know this because I, I don't know, you know, the inside of, of Universal Women's Network, but what I would bet is that there are too many awards for women that are actually not um, celebrated. So nominations, when I look at the amount of female award nominations, award nominations are at a low. And yet we are at a time when we need them to be at a high. Yeah. So going back to that question about support her, one of the things that if men want to make a difference right now, one of the places that they can start doing that is nominate the women that you see who are not at the level that they want to be at, yeah. nominate them for an award. Nominate if, if we could have hundreds of nominations, hundreds, we would then be making an impact. We would then be showing that women are valued in the way that they should be. Because even though there's only one winner, the visibility of all of those nominations is what allows women to go, okay, hmm, maybe I should consider this. Maybe I should look about that, at this differently. Maybe I should practice a little bit on how I'm going to start presenting. Maybe I should, you know, create a group of women or, you know, even through Universal Women's Network, you could, you know, join one of the, the um, uh, evenings where you can start in a safe space to use your voice and um, express really what's inside. Um, that's, that's where we need to start. And I absolutely love that. Thank you. Uh, I didn't pay Andrea to say that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that I, I agree. I mean, when we go through the nomination process, what triggers that entire process is one person saying, I, I believe in you. I, see I you. value you, I see you, and I hear you. And that one trigger, I, I, I talk to so many women, and I might have talked to you about this, I can't remember, but the email comes through and they're like ready to dismiss it because they're who me? Who me? Somebody's, somebody's acknowledging my worth because it wasn't expected or I didn't ask for it. And I think that as women, that is one of the things that we have to be open to receiving is that we are valuable, we are worthy, and we do deserve the acknowledgement, right? It's not a selfish thing. It's actually a selfless thing to accept because it empowers somebody else to do the same. And um, the way that we have actually created the awards process is that it's from the public. The public can nominate and there is it's so inclusive where that's why we have a lot of awards because no one woman is all the same. Like yeah. really there, there's so many different, you know, um, areas of expertise and knowledge and, um, you know, and so what that just really, I just really thank you for sharing that because that's really meaningful to me because when I started the awards in 2015, it was really just to recognize one woman you know, who was not recognized, who worked her buns off, who didn't do it for acknowledgement. But what it realized was that the value of recognizing her 
helped so many other people along the way. Absolutely. And so, yes, let's get those nominations in. Um, the nomination process is actually even a way to do, uh, how would you say, an inventory? I was thinking it's an inventory of all your accomplishments. Like, even if you look back to a year ago, like, (laughs) right, we never stop learning and growing the accomplishments that I just, so yes, get those acknowledgements in and thank you for asking the men to support her because that is one way of getting that out there. So you lead by example, Andrea, all the time. And so thank you so much for sharing all of your words of wisdom. Um, What... I have uh, your definition of a woman of an inspiration um, right in front of me. Okay, read it. Do you want me to read it? Read it. Go for it. Okay, so I was going to ask you, but I have it right in front of me, so I'm going to read it. So Andrea's definition of a woman of inspiration is someone who can recognize the differences within others as valuable and important. She is able to hold the space for diverse perspectives and is brave enough to have the conversations that matter. Beautiful. So beautiful. And so I always love hearing what I say. <laughs> you want me to say it again? <laughs> well, no, because you think about, I, I think what we do as women. So no, at let's least do this that. Is... let's just do that because you have, it's, it's different. I'm going to read it really nicely this time, like a, a whole lot better. So Andrea Carter's definition of a woman of inspiration is A woman of inspiration is someone who can recognize the differences within others as valuable and important. She is able to hold the space for diverse perspectives and is brave enough to have conversations that matter. Period. Love that, actually. It's beautiful. (laughs) It is beautiful. Well written. I'm going to say five star. Um, How long did it take you to come up with that, Andrea? Well, considering I, I think I wrote it this morning, right before a meeting, it was like a quick, (laughs) I was like, I gotta get this done. Um, But that's what I love about it. What I love about it is that um, it's, it's short and concise and yet it's very meaningful to me. And it truly does embody actually how I see you know, women of inspiration, because I think, and, and this goes back to the confidence element. I think that when we can not be scared of the differences that we also hold within ourselves, then the differences of others are are okay and wonderful and quirky and fantastic. And we're not either scared of them intimidated by them or feel the need to compete against them Mm. and and i think we have to be able to recognize our own differences as valuable in order for us to be able to recognize other um people as as and their differences as valuable and um you know that that piece around difference is um we've always gone by you know these sayings like birds of a feather flock together and all of those elements and yet those are the elements that actually keep us small 
Um, those are the pieces that if we're only looking for like-minded or people who look like me or talk like me or walk like me or ski like me, don't ski like me. <laughs> <laughs> don't ski like me either. You don't want to follow me down the hill. It's nasty. <laughs> Oh, well, and I've been skiing in Ontario for the past six years, so you can only imagine what that looks like anyways. But I think, you know, going back to this, this piece around differences, I think that when we can start getting into the habit of saying, you know what, I'm different and it's okay. I'm different and it's not just okay, it's amazing. Um, that's where we can start really meeting people, going back to my OMA, meeting people where they're at and, and acknowledging that, they're just as beautiful with all of their um, unknowings um, as the person who has taken a different path. Um, and so differences are really, really valuable. Andrea, you're just making more work for me today because I have just had this aha moment. I mean, oh. <laughs> I'm gonna share this with you is that I have used the word like-minded women and I am going to just remove that from our vocabulary because that's truly not how I feel. I love the diversity. I love the inclusion, um, the inclusive environment, but where everybody's voice is valued and heard. And I'm just thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm going to just wipe those like-minded things because we do not want to be the same. We want to value the like the the voices that and the participation and the and the you know um the voice that everybody brings to the table and it's not because we're like-minded like we might have the same value set yep. but our minds are and our perspectives are very different and that's what makes it beautiful so i'm actually going to take that like-minded thing right out of there and love it oh i'm going to raise that's just <laughs> make it happen seriously I, that's just one thing that i had when you said that i'm like oh my gosh yeah. I didn't even realize we said like-minded, but no, we embrace women to have their own voice and to value their contribution. We don't want to be like-minded. We want individuals. No, we do. We want individualism. We want yeah. difference. Um, and it's interesting too, like just real quick here. I look at what I've seen in different industries and that ad adaptation of being like-minded has actually closed different industries from seeing their opportunities and um, next level growth because they're only looking through the lens of like-mindedness and when we do that it prevents us from being able to see the other frameworks that exist that can create um, so much joy and potential and opportunity mm -hmm. and um and I think, you know, you and I have had this conversation about sometimes some of the the women's groups that we have, we talked about this about from the, from the negative micro uh, aggressive perspective, but I find it's so fascinating when you go into women's groups and all, and everyone's wearing the same attire and everyone has the same haircut and um, it's not conducive to belonging. It's very conducive to exclusivity and um, binary thinking. Mm. And so um, black and white, right? Like good or bad is what I mean by binary. And, and so um, I think the more that we can 
let go of that need to be like-minded and let go of the need to be same. Oh, I hear this all the time with my daughter, samesies, mom, we're samesies today. And I think, and I always say to her, I don't want to be samesies. I want to be different. I want to be funny and quirky and weird. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, I, and I think these are just little pieces that we get to mm-hmm. challenge and um, forgive as well. Oh, love, love, love. There's so many great things that we have talked about today, Andrea. And it's been a pleasure to have you um, a part of this. I know that we're going to have many, many more um, discussions because of course the road show is coming up in September and the graphic trucks are on the road across actually Canada and US. <laughs> right? So exciting. Well, yeah, I'm going through New Jersey and New York mm-hmm. and LA and how crazy is that, right? But there's really the opportunity when people start hearing these conversations and hearing the leadership voices that we're representing and, and these values and the conversations that we're having, the impact that we're, we have the ability to make. Um, really with everybody, because you and I both agree on this, that everyone plays a role to support her and everybody can play a role. It's not for the just the exclusive groups and committees or the teams within the you know organizations right. like every single Everybody. person matters so um thank you so much for joining us today and i would just like to um say that i'm excited to have you as the 100 woman of inspiration um contributor book because your leadership voice is very very valid um before we wrap up here i would just like to say would you like to offer any other words of wisdom anything that we haven't we haven't touched on a lot of things today but if there's anything that is that you're dying to share (laughs) with our listeners today i would like you to please share it with our listeners I think the only thing that I would like to end on is that the research study that I'm doing in the mining industry on diversity and inclusion, specifically looking at belonging and being able to break down belonging so that we can identify through the five elements um, to figure out which area to look at in order to shift culture. Um, That data I'm very excited about is coming out June 27th. Um, Women in Mining Canada are part of disseminating it as well as um, some of the bigger mining uh, companies. We'll definitely share it with you. It'll be shared on buildingbetterorganizations.com. And um, I think the work is going to be just incredible to start transitioning us from this space of um exclusion to a space of belonging so thank Mm. you everyone and thank you andrea and i you know have got to say like those graphics trucks look at that industry of graphics trucks that is actually driving this you know movement that we're starting um for the road show and that's three percent women in that industry for truck drivers right that's 97% men, 3% women. Like these are underrepresented industries that are coming to the table and saying, we support her. We want to not just talk about it. We want to take action and just small steps, right? But make a big impact. So thank you, Andrea. I'm super excited and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Listeners, um, if listeners would like to get a hold of you, what is the best way? LinkedIn message saying, hey, I've heard you on the Woman of Inspiration podcast or what other avenue? 
Yeah, so they can um, definitely reach me on LinkedIn. The other way is if you get onto the buildingbetterorganizations.com website, you can actually download a couple of different uh, really great bodies of research and, and elements. Um, there's a, a free um, PDF on um, compounding pressure and how to alleviate compounding pressure. There's a, another handout where you can uh, learn about how to support someone who is in need, especially in COVID, especially with this third wave that we're about to go through again. Um, and and so, you know, check out the website for now. It is ever evolving. And um, if not, PM me on LinkedIn and we'll continue the conversation there. Thank you for the opportunity so much, uh, Monica. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure on my end too. I look forward to continuing. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, I encourage you to please um, reach out to Andrea, um, find out all about the great work that she's doing. And for sure, watch out for those graphic trucks coming across North America. Stay tuned for the road show that's happening in September, where we're going to dive deep. We have the ability to make an impact right now and encouraging you to nominate women of inspiration that are in your community and your network um it that is just the beginning of how we actually each play a role to support her so thanks so much andrea thanks everyone for joining and i look forward to our next conversation